Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. If you have your Bibles, if you want to go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 46, that's where we're going to be this morning, Genesis chapter 46. And we'll be looking at both chapters 46 and 47. And, uh, you know, the last few chapters, I think 42 to about 45, we've been dealing mainly with the life of Joseph. And uh, Joseph still figures prominently in the, these chapters. But really the story now is going to focus once more on Jacob, his father. And that's kind of what we're going to be looking at this morning is uh, Jacob. And he's an older guy now. In fact, he's very old. He's in his, I think, 130 years old. And uh, some of the things that, we, that we're going to learn about him, I pray that we would uh, learn that for our own lives. Um, you know, he's gone through a life of, of, he's had some hard things. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And, uh, and now he, he's just matured in the Lord. And, and I think we'll see that as we go through this. And so um, I just pray, it's my prayer that we would just, uh, I'm going to bring out some points here that we might be, find some application for our own hearts this morning. So back in chapter 45, Joseph, we talked about last week, he revealed himself to his brothers. They didn't know that he was the second highest ruler in Egypt. And so the brothers, they returned to Jacob back in Hebron. And uh, they, they basically, you know, they, they tell the news, hey, Joseph, your son, our brother, is still alive. And in fact, he's the second highest leader in the, all of Egypt. And he wants you to come back with him uh, to be with where he's at. And, and you got to think about that. That's got to be kind of a bittersweet thing for Jacob. Uh, in one sense, I mean, I mean, just can you imagine, for 25 years you thought your son was dead, and then all of a sudden you get this news, hey, he's alive. I mean, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. But you know, the brothers, they probably had to confess to their dad at this point. At some point they had to say, well, you know, we dipped the blood, you know, we dipped this, his coat, and, you know, we sold him into slavery, you know, and, and they had to have, they had to have at some point, you know, uh, confessed. Imagine if you were Benjamin. Remember Benjamin? He was the youngest brother. He came with his brothers. Well, at first he didn't, right? He came, the other brothers came, and then, and then Joseph wanted to see Benjamin, and he said, and he kept Simeon there in jail and said, uh, I'm not going to let him out unless you bring your brother to prove that you're not spies. And uh, Jacob didn't want to let Benjamin go, but he finally relents because they're, they're out of food. And so he brings uh, Joseph, uh, J- uh, Judah, excuse me, uh, kind of vouches for Benjamin and uh, you know, bears himself responsible for Benjamin's safety. And so Benjamin is brought with his brothers. At this point, they still don't know that that's Joseph. And so he's brought before uh, Joseph. And, and at that point, when Joseph revealed himself, and said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Can you imagine Benjamin? Because all this time, he probably was told the same thing. Your brother's dead. And all of a sudden, it's like, what? You know, he turned around and looked. You guys, you guys did that? You know, because so it, it must have been just a bittersweet thing for them. So we get to chapter 46. All that, you know, we're, we're just assuming that that kind of stuff took place, but I would imagine it had. We get to chapter 46, verse 1. It says, so Israel... Notice he's called Israel. We're going to see that in here, uh, back and forth between Israel and Jacob. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Um, that word Beersheba, that name, it's called or it means the well of the sevenfold oath. 
lot of things took place there in Beersheba. That is where, if you recall, God spoke to Hagar. Remember, Hagar was sent away from Abram, and, uh, and she thought her son was going to die. And the, God spoke to her there at Beersheba. That's where Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And Abraham, after he went to offer Isaac on Mount Moriah, and God, you know, that whole story about, uh, uh, you know, he didn't end up having to, uh, to offer Isaac, but, but he was in obedience, and he went and did that. When he returned home from that, he ended up living at, uh, at uh, Beersheba. This is also where Isaac built an altar to the Lord. In fact, Isaac's the one that named it Sheba and Beersheba, which means well, uh, so bear, uh, well of the sevenfold oath. And Isaac lived there. So there's a lot of history with that place, Beersheba. Well, this is where Jacob stops now to offer sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And, uh, you know, think about it. Jacob, the sons of Jacob, their children, their children's children, they're never going to see this place again. They're never going to they're, they're move on to Egypt. Egypt will be their new home for 400 plus years. Now, the place itself is not significant. What's significant is what takes place at that place. This is where the Lord met with Hagar, met with Abraham, met with Isaac, and now he's going to speak to Jacob here. Verse 2, Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Did you notice there in uh, verse uh, 2, it says that God spoke to Israel and then said, Jacob, Jacob. Why is he calling him Jacob again? Why is he calling him by his old name? Why does God say, do not fear to go down to Egypt? Well, the reason why is because that's exactly what the problem was. Jacob was in fear at this point, and he's in fear of going down to Egypt. Why would he be in fear of going down to Egypt? I mean, Joseph's there after all. He's going to see his son. I'm sure he's got mixed emotions at this place. Listen, God told Isaac, his father, back in Genesis chapter 26, there was a famine that time. And God told Isaac, said, don't go down to Egypt. Stay in the land. Later on, uh, or excuse me, earlier on, during a famine in Abraham's lifetime, Abraham took a trip down to Egypt, and it didn't turn out very good for him at all there. That's where they got the, uh, Hagar the slave there, and, and uh, you know, it wasn't a good thing for Abraham. Um, by the way, Abraham uh, was still alive when Jacob was born. In fact, Jacob was probably about 15 years old when his grandfather Abraham passed away. That's about the same age I was when my mom's father, my grandfather, we call him Opa because he's Dutch, um, where he pa- when he passed away. And uh, he lived up in Canada. We lived down in the United States. They would come down. They loved to come down in the summer, uh, in the winter, excuse me, down to California because, I mean, they get out of the cold of Edmonton, Alberta, which is, you know, 40 below type weather. And uh, so they would love to come down. So I'd see them just about every winter because they'd come hang out for a few weeks. And my grandfather loved oranges. They were, they were just, anyways... Um, but that's the memories I have. I didn't live next near him, but I remember him. And, you know, he went back to Holland once, and uh, it was later on in his life, much later on in his life. He was probably in his 70s at that point. And uh, I remember him t- talking to me once. He just, just me and him were there. And he said, you know, 
he said, I just came back from Holland, and I said, he said, man, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. That's all he said. And now I know what he's referring to because he had visited Amsterdam, and I mean, that place is just crazy. Did you know that Holland used to be the most conservative country prior to World War II in Europe? It was the most conservative European country. After World War II, it became the most liberal of the, of the European countries. Such a transformation in one generation. He had left while it was still very you know, conservative, went back, and it just blew his mind. But, you know, he passed that on to me, and I still remember him saying that to me. Um, and so I can imagine Abraham, he probably is passing down things to Jacob as well, his grandson. I mean, who wouldn't? I love to take opportunities with my grandchildren to share with them. In fact, when we go to Seattle, I, you know, it's funny. My grandkids here don't necessarily do it, but my, grand, my daughter's kids in Seattle, they always say, hey, will you tell us a story? Tell us a story about my mom, our mom, when she was little. Can you tell us a story about when you were little? And I'm like, yeah, I love to talk. I'm a pastor. So, you know, hey, let me give you a sermon. You know, and, but I love to share that with them. But that's an opportunity all of us parents and grandparents have, right, passing on to, to our children. Well, Abraham probably passed down to Jacob what God had told him. Remember back in Genesis 15, verses 13 through 14, that God had told Abraham, he said, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years and also the nation whom they serve I will judge and afterward they shall come out with great possessions and I can just imagine Jacob that night here in Beersheba he's thinking about the fact yeah, I'm going down to see Joseph my son but my grandfather said that we're going to be down there for 400 years and we're going to become servants and we're going to be afflicted there so he probably had this knowledge of what was going to take place. And he's probably like, man, I don't want to go. I'm fear you know, I've, got, I've got these mixed emotions. And so the Lord reassures Jacob that it's his will to Jacob to go down there now. And he gives him five reasons why Jacob should not fear going down to Egypt. The first one, he says there, I am God, the God of your father. When he's saying that, he's saying, I am the covenant God. I'm the God who keeps his promises. Then he says, I will make of you a great nation there. You know, Jacob's the head of a, probably about 70 or so, roughly, uh, a, a family of about 70 at this point. Um, God's going to use Egypt. It's going to be like a womb for a baby. He's going to be nourished. They're going to be nourished in there, and then they'll become a nation there. They're going to go from a family to be a nation. Then he also says, I will go down with you, uh, excuse me, I will go down with you to Egypt. In other words, hey, you're not alone, Jacob. What a comfort that is for you and I when we go through a difficult time or a, a fearful time to know, man, the Lord is there with us. He doesn't leave us. He's there with us. And then he says, I will sh also surely bring you up again. In other words, Jacob, this is temporary. Now, of course, for Jacob, it wouldn't be temporary, right? He would die there. And his children and children to 400 years of them would die there. But it was temporary for the nation of Israel. And then finally, he says, Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. What does that mean? Well, that means when he dies. It was a custom, an old custom, that the nearest relative or the nearest friend, if you didn't have a relative, your nearest friend, if you died, they would be the ones that would kind of, you know, put their hands on your eyes to close your eyelids or whatever. Um, <clears throat> in other words, what the Lord is telling Jacob, Joseph, whom you thought was dead, He's going to be with you from now on until you die. He's going to be with you now the remainder of your life, which is exactly what happened. 
So verse 5, it says, Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now, we're going to pass over all these names of Jacob's descendants, okay? Um, If you want to read them, sometimes I go through and I read all these. I want to move on from here. I'll encourage you, if you want to read them, go ahead and read them. Um, I do, there's two that are like, that need special, special mention. They kind of jump out at me. If you guys ever have twin babies and you want to come up with, you're like, I don't know what to name my babies. Here's a great one. How about Muppum and Huppum? That'd be great names for children. I think that would be great. So they, they, they must be freaking out because they're being called Muppin and Huppin. <laughs> well, we're going to jump down to verse 28, okay? But before we get to verse 28, there's something I want to kind of establish. Now, when we first started talking about Joseph, I, I said, you know, Joseph is a type or a picture of Christ. And that's true. And, 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 and in what ways is Joseph a type of Christ? Well, first of all, Joseph was uh, beloved by his father. Jesus was the only beloved son of the father. Joseph was hated by his brothers. Jesus was hated by his brothers, the Jews. Joseph was sold into slavery to foreigners. Jesus was handed over to the Romans. Joseph was sold for the price of a slave. Jesus was betrayed for the price of a slave. Joseph was punished for a crime he didn't commit. Jesus was crucified for sins he did not commit. Joseph was considered dead by Jacob, and Jesus was crucified, died, and buried. Jacob, in a sense, received Joseph back from the dead, right? In a sense. Um, Joseph... Was re- or excuse me, Jesus was resurrected. He did come back from the dead. Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. We talked about that in chapters 45. And Jesus will, receive, uh, will reveal himself to the Jews during the Great Tribulation. When we get to the book of Revelation, we'll be looking at that. So why I brought this up, in light of the type of Christ that we see in Joseph, I want you to turn and look at verse 28, because I think it's significant. Verse 28 says, then he sent, this is Jacob, then Jacob, or he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. Does that make you wonder, why why does it tell us that he sent Judah? Why, Why Judah, first of all? Why Judah? Why not Reuben or any other ones? And there's different reasons. In fact, there could be many reasons. But it's really interesting if you study the names here. Goshen, the land of Goshen, in the in the uh, Briggs Driver Hebrew <laughs> Dictionary, I always forget that I mess up the name because it's like three hyphenate, hyphenated names. But anyways, in my Hebrew Dictionary, Goshen means drawing near, drawing near. Judah, you may or may not already know this, means praise. Now, if Joseph's a picture of Christ, I want to kind of put this together. The way to drawing near to Christ is through praise. And I see that right in, chapter, in verse 28. 
It's like the Holy Spirit's got this little secret message, hidden message for us. But isn't it true the way to drawing near to Christ is through praise? That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 100 verse 4, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. This uh, past week, in fact, it was Monday, um, I had been invited a few months ago to go down to um, the Bible college in, in Spencer, Iowa. It's a Calvary Chapel Bible college. And they've been inviting different local pastors in the region to come and share with their students on uh, once a month. And so it was my turn to go down there to, uh, to Spencer. And so uh, basically what I did was I shared my testimony, um, how I came to the Lord, you know, my background and everything. And then I also shared how I got into ministry. And I, and I talked for a little while. And then finally, what things did I learn through ministry or have I learned since I've been in ministry? So it was about an hour worth of talking or so. And then we took a break. And then, and then in the second session, we had basically questions. They could ask any questions they want. That's always scary, but, you know, it worked out. Um, anyways, at one point I had been talking about, you know, how to deal with discouragement. And, and this one girl raised her hand. And she says, can you share with me as a pastor, how do you deal with discouragement? And it's funny that she asked me that because I've been dealing with that myself. It's, I've been going through that in my own life at this point. And so I said, you know, I, I don't know that I got a, an exact answer for you, but I think the answer is praise. I think praise is how you deal with discouragement. And, but, but that's easy to say, well, just praise. Well, what, is that, what does that mean? What does it look like to praise the Lord? Psalm 36, I think, is very instructive to us. Psalm 36, verse 5 says, your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. You just start reflecting on the Lord. Man, he's merciful. The Lord is so merciful to us, and he's faithful. Verse 6, it says, your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. The Lord, man, he's righteous. He's wise in his judgments, and they're past figuring out. You know, sometimes the Lord does something, and it's like, I, I can't understand why he's doing it. Well, it's because he's God and we're not. And, and so his judgments, he's wise, and they're so deep. And not only that, but he preserves us. Verse 7, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. We serve a loving creator. God's not out to get you. He loves you, and he's trustworthy. People are sometimes not trustworthy, right? I'm not trustworthy always. We, we fail each other sometimes. We let each other down, but Christ will never let you down. Verse 8, they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. You know, the Lord meets our needs, and he even blesses us above what we ask or think, the Bible says. And then verse 9, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Of course, I mean, you know, you could be as bummed out. You, maybe you could have the roughest life and the worst thing going on in your life right now. But you know one thing you do have if you're a believer in Jesus Christ? You have eternal life. I mean, that's something that, that's, that's, that's it. You know, everything else is just icing on the cake. You have eternal life. And through him... Our spiritual eyes are open and we can comprehend things as they truly are because the world lies to us. But when we become born again, our, our spiritual, man, we're open, we're, we're spiritually alive, we start to see things that we never saw before. In your light, we see light. Listen, Jacob went from fear 
and disbelief to faith. And his faith became sight through praise. You see, when you and I become fearful and we start doubting, we lose sight of the Lord. That's what happens when we start becoming fearful and doubting. Psalm 37 is also instructive. Verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. I've been really reflecting on that this week, feeding on the Lord's faithfulness. It's such an important thing to do as believers. Um, Right now I'm going through Jeremiah and my, my personal devotions, and I was reading this, Jeremiah 15, just the other day, verse 18. Jeremiah, you know, he's, he's at this point, they've, they've, they've uh, threatened him with his life. He's been thrown in the stocks. I mean, he, it's just, he's, if anybody could be discouraged as a pastor, Jeremiah would be the one. I mean, he served for how many 40-some years, and no one ever turned to the Lord in his ministry. They tried to kill him. They threw him in a well. I mean, you know, what a, what a tough thing. And in verse 18 of chapter 15, you know, he's, he's, it looks to me like he's compare, uh, complaining to the Lord. But he says, why is my pain perpetual and my wounds incurable, which refuses to be healed? And then he says this, will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream as waters that fail? He's asking the Lord that. Are you going to be like an unreliable stream? You know, when you and I start feeding on his faithfulness, we start to see the hand of the Lord more clearly around us. So like I said, I was reflecting on that unreliable stream, waters that fail. Can you imagine this morning you got up to go to church? Maybe you're going to take a shower or you're going to brush your teeth or whatever, put some water in a coffee pot or your your drip maker or whatever, make coffee. You turn on the faucet and there's no water today. Ah, great. No water, man. What do I do now, you know? That would be devastating for some of us coffee drinkers. But uh, you come to church, we'll have water. (laughs) But can you imagine that? Turning on your faucet and there's no water. That's something we take for granted, right? Or maybe you're like, you know, I'm going to get up before the sun rises. I'm an early riser. Sometimes I love to do that. I get up before the sun rises. Uh, But can you imagine you're sitting there and it's like 7 o'clock and the sun still hasn't rose. 8 o'clock hasn't rose. 9 o'clock. It's like, what's the deal? It never rose. That's something we always take for granted. Or, you know, like the book of Narnia, you know, it's, it's always winter, never Christmas. You know, you think about things like that. I was reflecting on, on feeding on the Lord's faithfulness this week. And I was thinking about the seasons. We're entering into the fall season now, the harvest season. You know, harvest comes every year. It's not like one year it's like, well, there's no harvest. I guess God decided to, you know, oh, I guess, you know, I forgot or whatever. You know, God is so faithful. And those things we just take for granted. Those things we take for granted. You take for granted day and night and everything. You know, we even take, I think, gravity for granted if you think about it. What keeps us on this planet? What keeps us from just floating off into outer space? Gravity does, right? Hebrews tells us he upholds all things by the word of his power. So when you start feeding on the Lord's faithfulness, you start thanking the Lord for all these different things. And and man, I tell you, your faith grows. Your faith grows. You you know, you're you're not discouraged because, man, Lord, you have been blessing me. Verse 29. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. 
you know, this is probably one of those understatements in the Bible. The Bible sometimes has understatements. I think this is an understatement. You know, think about this. Joseph, you know, he probably really wanted to impress his dad the first time he sees him. So he's probably robed in all the splendor of his office. You know, he's got his golden chariot, you know, polished up. And, you know, I mean, he probably looks, I mean, it's just like this. It wasn't just him showing up on a chariot. I'm sure there was like a parade and secret service guys and everything all around him. And uh, he comes to his father. Here he's the second highest leader in Egypt, but then he falls on his father's neck for a good while. Another, now he's gone from the king of Egypt, or the second highest. Now he's just he's just Jacob's son, and he's just weeping. And you can imagine how how long they probably just they lingered there. And the the Bible says he fell on his neck and wept a good while, a good while. Verse thirty. And Israel said to Joseph, "Now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you're still alive." I can die now. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, for, Joseph, for Jacob, man, there's nothing greater than seeing Joseph, his son, alive at this point. He was satisfied. He didn't need anything more. It's like there's, there's nothing greater. I mean, I've seen Joseph, my son, and he's still alive. And man, that's it. I don't, I don't need anything more in my life. For you and I as the believer, remember Joseph's a type of Christ. For you and I as the believer, is there anything in life better than seeing Jesus and having a relationship with him? Psalm 142 verse 5 says, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. I was thinking of this one worship song. It's an older one, and maybe you don't know, but it's like, give me Jesus. I was trying to remember the words to it, but, you know, I, I can't even sing it. I can't even, but it's just, it ends the course is just give me Jesus. You can take everything away, but just give me Jesus. That should be our attitude as believers. Verse 31, then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now. But we and also our fathers, uh, excuse me, Verse 34, that you shall say your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. It's kind of a curious passage there. Why did Joseph say this to them? Hey, tell Pharaoh your shepherds. Not that they were lying, they were shepherds. But why did he stress that they, he tells them, that he tell, they tell uh, Pharaoh that they're Egyptians? And the reason why I think is the end there, because a shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Listen, we don't know if it was Joseph's foresight or if it was the Spirit of God directing him, but certainly God had a hand in this. In fact, it probably was the Spirit of God directing Joseph to tell him that. Goshen, first of all, for for grazing livestock, it was the perfect location. It was in the upper uh, Nile region. It was actually really close to, to Canaan. Um, it was the perfect region for grazing livestock. The fact that they would be separate in their own region there in Egypt, the fact that their occupation as shepherds would be considered an abomination to the Egyptians, there was a purpose in it. And the purpose was it would serve to keep them in Egypt but separate from the Egyptians. 
That's what God, because God's forming a nation, right? They wouldn't intermarry. For the most part, they would not adopt any of the idolatry of the Egyptian. I say for the most part because 400 years later when, when the exile takes place, there's going to be a mixed multitude that goes with them. And so there might have been a little bit of intermarriage. There might have been some idolatry a little bit on the fringes. Who knows? But for the most part, it would keep them separate from the Egyptians. They were to become a great nation within Egypt, but separate from the Egyptians. I was reflecting on that. Okay, I'm going to confess to you. I'm only, well, okay, for you younger people, you go, that's old. For you older people, you go, well, that's young. I'm, I'm only 55 years old, okay? Double nickels. And uh, <clears throat> so I, get the, I can get the golden menu there at McDonald's if I want. But uh, I think back, I was thinking back in my lifetime. In the early and mid-60s, probably in the 50s too, I'm sure, there was a certain level of respect for Christians in our culture. If, you, if those of you that are old enough, you reflect back, there was a certain level of of respect. It was even reflected in our television shows. Do you remember Sheriff Andy Taylor, Barney Fife, and Aunt B? There were several episodes where they were in church. I, I still remember that. There's probably other shows as well. But later on in the 70s and 80s, if you notice, there was a there was a switch, and at that point, Christianity was mocked and marginalized more and more in our culture, and we saw it reflected in the media. If, if a Christian was on like one of these 70s or 80s shows, the, the Christian was usually depicted as a nutcase. I mean, as usually, they're the freak, you know, they're the weird one, you know, ha <laughs> ha, look at that person. But there's even been a switch, a trend change that we see now. Now we're not just mocked and marginalized, We've gone from mocking and marginalizing to outright hostility. And that's what's taking place right now. It's not just laughing. Now, now, they're, now it's like, if you are a fundamental Christian, you believe in the Bible, you, you're, you're an evangelical Christian, you're an abomination to the world around us. But we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world, right? We're to be separate from the world. In fact, Peter, in 1 Peter 2.9, says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are a nation. His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. We're an abomination to the world around us. And they're going to speak of us as evildoers, and they do now. They do now. There's outright hostility towards you and I this morning. Or this in this day and age. Let's get on to chapter 47, verse 1. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Now, it's I, there's got to be some significance to why he picked five and which five. We're not told which five. We're not told why. Um, it's unknown to me. Maybe you guys know it. It's unknown to me the, the significance of five. But if you think about it, Joseph, back in chapter 43, when he took uh, servings to his brothers, Benjamin's serving was five times as much as theirs. 
in uh, in another chapter, Joseph gave to his brother, I think it's chapter 45, Joseph gave to his brothers changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. So there's some significance there. But again, I don't know what it is. But here Joseph presents five of his brothers to Pharaoh. Verse 3. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to uh, to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, make them uh, chief herdsmen over my livestock. Verse 7. Then Joseph brought in his father and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. I want to just focus on that scene. Picture that scene if you might. You might have to think back to the Ten Commandments, okay? Maybe you have to think about that. Pharaoh, in all his splendor, he probably even looked like that. Uh, who knows? But um, Except he had highlight and makeup on more. <laughs> but Pharaoh, in all that splendor of Egypt, he's got servants around him. He's got bodyguards. There's probably gold all over the place. Marble floors. You know, everything's luxury, the finest materials. And it's just the pomp and circle. It's just, it's just such an impressive thing uh, to go into uh, to see, you know, this, this leader of the nation of Israel, or excuse me, of Egypt. That's Pharaoh. And Jacob's brought in there. And he's this patriarchal shepherd. And he walks with a limp from wrestling with an angel of God. Okay, so he's on a king. He's an old man. He's got bad eyesight. We'll find out later in a couple chapters. He's old and frail, hobbling in before the king of all Egypt. In fact, they probably have to set him down in a chair or something because he can't stand there. And you would think, you know, instead of being wowed by Pharaoh's court, Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Hebrews 7, 7 says, Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And you can imagine, Pharaoh's probably not, accust- not accustomed to having people just walk in there and just bless him. I mean, he's, he's used to people maybe cowering or, you know, just being all reverent in his presence, maybe with fear and trembling. And here comes this incredibly old man, and he just comes in there and he just blesses Pharaoh. And it had to have blown Pharaoh away. You know, the older I get, again, I'm not that old, but the older I get, the less man in general impresses me. I used to be impressed when I was younger. I used to, you know, uh, but now the older I get, it's like, man, I, I really don't care what people's opinions are about me as much. I mean, I still care, but not as much. There's less I'm afraid of speaking the truth. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Verse 26 says, Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice uh, for man comes from the Lord. So if you think about it, you know, old people, they can kind of say stuff. It's funny, I'm with my mom somewhere, you know, she's in her 80s and, and she's out in California, and she by her nature she kind of just says what's on her mind but now she's an older lady she says it even more and you know she just she'll just blurt out stuff and you're like oh, i can't believe she said that you know but, but who cares she's an old i don't care what she doesn't care what people think and most people 
they, they're like, oh, it's an older person. You know, they just like shrug. You know, if I had said the same thing, I probably would have gotten a fight or something or, you know, something would have happened. Um, but old people can get away with stuff like that. And so I think Pharaoh's just blown away. And in verse, uh, verse 8, Pharaoh said to Jacob, well, how old are you? Verse 9, and Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. It's interesting. Joseph, or excuse me, Jacob considered his life a pilgrimage. Hebrews 11 talks about Jacob and, and Abraham and Isaac. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16, but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So Joseph's, or excuse me, Jacob there says, few and evil have been the days of of the years of my life. 130 years. And he says there, his days were few. And, you know, the older you and I get, the more we realize just how quickly life passes by. It's so true. It's like I can remember when I was a youngster like these ones that we were praying for this morning. It seems like yesterday, and yet it was 50-some-odd years ago, you know, 50 years ago at least. And when he says his days were evil doesn't mean that God was against him or things, you know, he was wickedness. What it means was his, his life was hard. Jacob had lived a hard life. Think about it. When he was younger, he had to escape a brother that had wanted to kill him. He was swindled by an uncle who changed his wages and was always trying to rip him off constantly. He was tricked into marrying a woman that he was not in love with. His mother died while he was away in a foreign land. The wife that he did love and did end up marrying died giving birth to his youngest son. His daughter was raped. Two of his sons committed murder in cold blood. They murdered all the men of Shechem in revenge for that rape. His oldest son slept with his concubine. He was tricked into believing for 25 years that his favorite son had been killed by wild animals only to find out that his own sons, their brother, their brothers, his brothers, Joseph's brothers, had sold him into slavery and had lied about his death. Physically, he had walked with a limp after wrestling with an angel for a good portion of his life. So yeah, Jacob had lived a hard life. Verse 10, so Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number in their families. Joseph had prepared a place for Jacob and his family to dwell. Picture of Jesus, right? 
John 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus told his disciples, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We see in Joseph just this picture of Jesus. Joseph provided bread for his father, his brothers, and all his father's household. The family of Israel looked to Joseph and Joseph only as their source of provision and supply. Jesus was speaking to his disciples in Luke 12, verse 22. He says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. Verse 31, But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. They just had to look to Joseph for, his, for their provisions. Verse 13. Now there was bre- no bread in the, all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished bet- because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph b- uh, brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock, if the money is gone. Verse 17. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle, the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every man of the Egyptians sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities, from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted them by Pharaoh. And they ate their rations, which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, Here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one one fifth to Pharaoh. Four fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your household and for your food for your little ones. So they said, you have saved us 
excuse me, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except, except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. So Joseph, and by the wisdom that God gave him, he saved the nation of, of Egypt as well as the other nations around Egypt. And he effectively transferred the wealth of the country to Pharaoh. Now, 20% tax, it probably seems, maybe it seems kind of high to you, but I, you know, I was trying to think about it. I, I, I didn't, but can you imagine if we probably added up all the taxes and fees that we pay in terror? We, we're probably over that, I'm guessing. Maybe not, I don't know. But, um, but it was reasonable. And so we have this picture here. All these nations, all the nation of Egypt, but all these other people, land of Canaan all around, all these people came to Joseph again, who's a type of Christ each year. And all that jumped out at me in this whole passage is it reminds me what's going to take place during the millennium. Zechariah 14, verse 16 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feasts of tabernacles. Verse 17, And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. There will be famine. There will be drought in their land. Verse 18, if the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to the Feast of Tabernacles. So to me, it's just like, oh, I see this picture of the millennium here. Verse 27, so Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had great possessions, uh, excuse me, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I had found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers as you shall carry... And you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. I should say bury, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Bury me in my burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Putting your hand under the thigh was uh, was a way of taking an oath. And so here, Israel, notice he's called Israel. He has Joseph, his son, take this oath that he's going to carry his bones out of Egypt and bring it back to the promised land, to the burial, the place that he had uh, purchased for a burial place. Hebrews 11.21 says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. And we're going to be looking at that more in chapters 48 through 49. But even here, at the end of this chapter, we see Israel is by faith trusting in God's promise to the point that he leaves instructions for the children of Israel to carry his bones back to uh, the land of promise after he's already dead and gone. So I want to just close. And uh, in fact, worship guys, you want to come on up? Whoever's doing worship, you can come on up. I just want to go through some of these points that we discussed. First of all, as we, as we discovered, 
in uh, chapter 28, or excuse me, verse 20 of chapter 46. The way to draw near to Christ is through praise. I want to encourage you in that. The way to draw near to Christ is through praise. And then also feed on his faithfulness. If you're going through a rough time today, maybe there's things that are just you're, you're really bummed about or, or you're not sure about or you're just anxious. The best way to deal with it, the best remedy is to feed on God's faithfulness. And then finally, or not finally, but let the Lord be your portion in the land of the living. Do you really need anything more than Jesus? Or do you just need, I just need Jesus. And as we saw with Jacob, don't fear man, but trust in the Lord alone. Again, going back to my devotions there, Jeremiah 17, verse 5, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see good when, uh, shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. And then finally, is this life your pilgrimage or is this life your destination? You know, how you view this life reflects It'll be reflected on how you live this life. Are you living this life as a pilgrim? This place isn't your home. You know, you're, you're in Egypt, but you're not part of Egypt. Or are you, you know, caught up in everything that's going on in this life? And it's like, you know, sometimes, sometimes I think about, you know, I don't know if you ever had a dream of winning the lottery or something or becoming very wealthy. And sometimes I thought, well, that'd be really awesome. But, you know, if I had the perfect home, and I had perfect health, and I had perfect children, and I had a perfect marriage and perfect family, and if everything was just perfect in my life, there was no, no bumps in the road or anything like that, do you think I'd be anxious for Christ's return? I, why? Because i got everything good here. Why not? So sometimes, you know, we go through difficult things. It's, you know, some pain and suffering. Sometimes I think, you know, it's just, it's a healthy reminder that, man, this place is not our life. This is, this is not our home. It's temporary. Jesus is returning, and let him be our hope, and He's let him be our portion. So why don't you stand up, and let's go, Lord, in prayer, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, as we've reflected on the life of, of Jacob here in these two chapters, Father, we've seen some important principles that, Lord, uh, are true for our lives as believers, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that your spirit has spoken to each one of us this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray that, uh, Lord, your word would just, you would just, by your spirit, just remind us of these truths. And, Lord, that these truths would just be ingrained and, and, and just that it would take root in the soil of our hearts. And that it would produce fruit as we are obedient and we respond to your word, Lord. So I thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.